Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Good morning. Man, you guys are awake. Nice. Christmas is two weeks away. Are you ready? Man, somebody really excited for Christmas. That's awesome. Um, actually, it's 12 days away, so it's not quite two uh, weeks. And I'm not going to sing 12 days of Christmas to you right now, even though I'm tempted. I'm tempted, but I'm not. Uh, have you done your Christmas shopping? Yeah? Well, if you haven't, one word, Amazon. You're welcome. I get it. Christmas is crazy. And, and my hope and prayer today is for us to slow down, for us, for us to focus on the one who this whole season is really about. So that's my hope and prayer today. Two weeks ago, we started a series called He Came. As a church, we want to focus on Jesus and his coming and why that matters. Vince shared how Jesus came and became flesh, that Jesus is God in the flesh and he dwells among us. Jesus made God known. Then last week in Philippians 2, we studied that Jesus came and he came humbly. We have rebellious hearts. These hearts want to win righteousness through doing good, through doing works, doing good works. The righteousness that God the Father requires can't be satisfied in our good works. Jesus needed to come down to satisfy that righteousness for us. He, Jesus, joined his creation. He came humbly, and he humbly died on the cross for our rebellious hearts. That's what we studied last week. And and part of me just wants to say amen and walk away worshiping him. But there's more to talk about why he came. He came, Jesus came to redeem when speaking of redemption, you have to be redeemed from something and into something. So Jesus came to redeem us from slavery and adopt us into his family. That is the reason we can rejoice at Christmas. And it's worth celebrating. So that's what we're going to be talking about. If you have your Bible, uh, open to Galatians chapter 4. Uh, there should be a black one right in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, grab it, use it, take it home. Merry Christmas. Galatians chapter 4. And as you're getting there, let me just summarize what's happening in this letter up to this point. In chapter 1, Paul introduces himself and then jumps right into the issue at hand. The issue is that people are believing false things about the true gospel. And at the end of chapter 1 and all of chapter 2, Paul is explaining that he's that, that he is called by God and accepted by the apostles. He's showing them that he's not some chump, but he has credentials. He has authority on this topic of the gospel. In chapter 3, Paul gets the heart of the issue. He says these false teachers were saying, okay, Jesus has done a great thing for you, but if you want to make sure God really loves you and approves of you, then you have to add some things of your own. You have to contribute. 
It's like, yeah, Jesus died, died for you on the cross and rose from the dead, but for you to be in his family, to, you have to behave a certain way, look a certain way. And that's what we pick up. That's what Paul has been addressing, working to this point. And so we're in chapter 4. We're going to be going through verses 3 through 7, verse by verse. So verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. We were enslaved to elementary principles. What is that? Often, this word in ancient, ancient Greek referred to elements of the material, visible world. That things that make up nature. Things such as fire, water, air, and earth. This word refers to the pagan belief that spiritual forces or gods work through these elements to control our lives. So for example, so picture this back in the day, this is what they would believe. If, if your son would get sick, and, and you would want your son to get better, right? And so you would do everything possible. Maybe you would take your son all the way to the top of the mountain because there's, there's dry air there, but nothing is working. Your son is getting more and more sick. According to the elementary principle of the world, your son is sick because you have offended a god. So to appease this particular god, you have to make promises, sacrifices, maybe give money towards the temple. Maybe you slaughter animals or dance around this, this god. Or maybe you even cut yourself. This is, this is back in the day I'm talking about. That's what they did. You do all these things because you think this god got your son sick and he's pouring his wrath on him and and your family and you want him to get better this was the elementary principle of the world and the question is has anything changed has anything changed do we operate under the same elementary principles and the names of gods and sacrifice has changed but the way we relate to our God or gods resembled the past. Let me illustrate. Back in the day, there were different, different gods. There were the Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty. There were Arius, the god of war. Artemis, the goddess of fertility and wealth, and so on. Today, we may not actually bow down before the statue of Aphrodite, but many women today are driven into depression and eating disorder by be- being concerned over their body image. We may not actually burn incense to Artemis, but many men today are driven by money and career and success, and those things are raised to the ultimate level. What are you willing to do to have that, to worship that idol? Are you willing to spend hours upon hours upon hours to get there? Are you willing to work 60, 70, 80, 90 hours a week? What drives a married man to never see his kids or live in his office or on the road in his suitcase? And maybe even justifying that he's doing this for his family. And the blessings from these gods, he's willing to sacrifice his family, his marriage, his community. I know, I, I get it. I do. I, I was, my semester in seminary was fairly busy this, this time, and I wanted to get good grades. And there was a moment in, in the semester where I realized I was studying so much that my community was being, was being sacrificed. My relationships were suffering. For the blessing of a grade, I sacrificed community. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, I know some people like that. But each one of us 
has an idol that we worship too. So don't look at others. Paul later on in Galatians 4, 9 says, he warns the Galatians that they can go back to being enslaved to elements of the world. In, the, in other words, if we serve the things of the world, which are not truly God's, but treat them as if they were God's, we become slaves to them spiritually. Paul hints that we're, there are evil spiritual forces in the world and that we that will help you worship and serve created things rather than the creator, and that is slavery. Maybe it's religion. Could we make religion our idol? Law? Can law become slavery? Because that's exactly what we talked about last week, this particular slavery of, of, of living under the law. The belief that we're not that bad, that we, the, the belief that we're that, not that bad or we're that good, so our need for Jesus disappears. We have this childish idea that we can unlock his inheritance by living better or earn favor with God and justify ourselves before God by virtue of our behavior, be good, avoid the bad. When we add works to the gospel, the gospel is no longer good news. It's slavery. When we add works to the gospel... The gospel is no longer good news. It's slavery. The slavery of trying to live up to the righteousness, but without the righteous one. We're enslaved to the elementary principles. We worship these elementary principles, these idols, waiting for them to satisfy us in some way. And these idols are bloodthirsty. Stop for a second. You know yourself really well. You know where your heart is at? You know where your heart is pulling you? Is it to an idol? Is it towards sin? You might even know the name of the idol. If you, th- if you don't, think, think with me for a moment. Where do you spend most of your time? Where do you feel best about yourself? What is that idol for you? Because we're going to look at how Jesus came to redeem us from that particular slavery, from those idols, from the sin, that sin. To be purchased from slavery, you need a purchaser, someone to make that transaction. To be redeemed from slavery, you need redeemer. So look with me back at Galatians verse 4 now. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. First phrase, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son at the right moment in history. God in his providence directed and prepared peoples and nations for Jesus, his son to join his creation, and eventually for the gospel to be proclaimed. God is in control. God sends forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. God's sending shows that Jesus is divine. Jesus is God and his father sends him. But Paul doesn't just stop there. He follows with born of a woman to show that Jesus was also a human. This is exactly what we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus came to earth as a baby, born from a woman, But it's not often we talked about the fact that he was born under the law for God-ordained purpose. A perfect God born in flesh, a human flesh, joins the enslaved world. 
If we stop for a moment and think about this, Jesus joins our sinful world. What does that even mean? That means he took this, that means he understands us because he was here. He understands what we're going through because he has gone through this. He took the sins of the world. He became a curse for you and me. He took the curse we deserve. He experienced the final penalty, the penalty of sin. And so turn with me to Hebrews 9, 12 to see what exactly is happening here. Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 12. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of the goats and calves, but by the means Sorry, by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For of the sprinkling of defiled person with the blood of the goats and the bull, bulls and with the ashes of the heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God and pure, purify our conscience from dead works to save the living God? Verse 15, therefore, he is a mediator of the new covenant. That's how the redemption works. A perfect God comes into the enslaved world, joins us as a human, lives a perfect life to be a sacrifice for us. He understands both sides. He does. He understands the holy God, Jesus, because he is God. And he understands the sinful man. He understands you and me. Because he was human. He's the only mediator. He's the only one who can redeem us. He redeemed us. He purchased us. We're the only ones. We are the ones who were under the law. We were in slavery. He came to free us from this slavery. And the passage says back in Galatians to redeem those who were under the law. What does it mean to be under the law? It means that we're under the law legally and spiritually. Legally in that we are obligated to be righteous before God or we're lost. Spiritually is that, that our hearts are helplessly fixated on trying to fulfill it in order to win God's favor. So that's, that's, how, that's legally and spiritually we're under the law. So in a sense, we belong to the law. We're under its mastery. We're legally and spiritually obligated to pay the price, but we can't. We try by obeying the law, but we fail. But the good news is that Jesus came. He came and paid for us. Jesus was that price. Jesus himself says in Mark 10.45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. One theologian says it this way, Had Jesus not been a man, he could not have redeemed men. Had Jesus not been a righteous man, He could not have redeemed the unrighteous. Had Jesus not been God's son, he could not have redeemed us from God or made us sons and children of God. 
He redeemed us from the slavery and adopts us into our family. Do you get it? Because his redemption was not so we can go to heaven. He redeemed us so we can be adopted into his family. You know, I, I geek out over theology all the time. I just want to talk theology uh, anytime I get a chance to. And so the other day I was talking to my wife, Sarah, and, uh, and I casually said something like, justification is the most important, best thing ever. To that she replied with, maybe. I wanted to scream heresy. But she followed one word, adoption. One author that I've been reading, studying for this passage said, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Let me explain. A lot of the time when I view redemption as as Jesus paid it, Jesus made a purchase so I can go to heaven. My sins are forgiven. That's a great thing, right? To be right with God. But Paul doesn't end his sentence there. He says, to redeem those who were under the law so that, we, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. Not only is God not mad at me, he actually looks at me with delight. Adoption is this intimate word. It, ha- it, has, it, it means closeness, affection, generosity, written all over the word adoption. It means he intimately cares for me. It's not that he simply has pity on me or pity on this human race and, and me as a result of that. He cares about me as an individual. He cares about me as a child. He looks at me the way I look at my son Isaiah, except even more perfectly. I don't know if you have been through an adoption process or heard anyone who gone through, but I want to share a story from Russ Moore, book that he wrote on adoption. The book he wrote, Adopted for Life. Him and his wife went to Russia to adopt two little boys. And as they got to this particular orphanage and walked into the room where the kids were laying, they both almost vomited from the smell because these kids were laying in their own waste. Each day, as they were uh, working on the paperwork, and, and they had to leave. And, and it was pretty hard leaving those kids behind, knowing how awful their environment was. The final day for them to leave was, was the worst. It was the hardest thing, as he writes, the hardest thing that I ever had to do. They dressed the boys in the new clothing, and they walked outside into a bright sun. As they, they came out to this bright sun, these kids started to be terrified because they have never seen the sun. They were shaking. And as they were shaking, they were reaching back to the orphanage that was in the distance. Because that's all these two little boys knew. These two little Russian boys were adopted. But they didn't know what that meant. They didn't know what it means to have a father or a mother who loves them deeply. To, to, this, to these two little boys, the orphanage is all they knew. And sometimes, that's what our lives look like. We get adopted into God's family, but do we really believe that? That we belong in his family? That we belong at the table? Let's look at verse 6 really quick of Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into the hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Eventually, I'm sure those two little boys would prefer, would refer to their parents as mom and dad. And here, Paul says, the spirit that God sends into our hearts will remind us that we're part of God's family. And we'll call him Abba, Father. What does that mean for us? That means God is for us. He is for us. He loves us. He made a way for us. Well, let's make it more personal. He is for me. He loves me. He made a way for me. And the word Abba is a strong word. In words of Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says this, it is a loud cry expressing deep emotion. It is implied a real knowledge of God. God is not some distant deity. He's not merely a God we believe in intellectually or theologically or doctrinally only. He's a father who's in relationship with you. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Jesus came to redeem us from slavery and adopt us into his family. And isn't that a reason to rejoice? We belong in his family. But we don't always feel like we do. We don't, always, we don't always feel like we're part of his family. In fact, if we're honest, we look at our past, our past sin, our past idols. We're prone to go to them for our satisfaction. We're like those two little boys who are reaching back to this ugly, awful orphanage because they didn't know what it meant to be part of a family. We forget that we are redeemed. We were orphaned orphans and now we're children we are purchased by the blood of christ into his family but we forget that we forget that that our identity is in him and we reach back towards the orphanage days we look at the idols to satisfy us and they don't we forget where our identity is and we start to identify with the past who we were, not who we are now. In Christ, we are forever loved and forever forgiven. That is Father's love for us. The gospel reveals our true identity is locked in Christ. Your identity is firmly anchored in Christ's accomplishment and not yours. Christ's strength and not yours. It's what Christ has done that brings you into his family he gives you this new identity. So Jesus came to redeem us from slavery and adopt us into his family. And that is a reason we should celebrate this. We should rejoice this Christmas. In a second, we're going to sing some songs celebrating this, this fact, this truth, how he has, been, has, he has adopted us into his family. But I want to read some words from a song we're going to sing. Listen to these words. In tenderness, he sought me, weary and sick with sin, and on his shoulders brought me back to his fold again. Oh, the love that sought me. Oh, the blood that bought me. Oh, the grace that brought me to the fold of God. Grace that brought me to the fold of God. He died for me while I was sinning. Needy and poor and blind, he whispered to assure me, 
I found thee. Thou art mine. He whispered to assure me. I found thee. Thou art mine. That's what we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate that identity is in him and him alone. That he whispers to assure us, to assure me, I found you. You are mine. And these tables, they represent our true older brother. Who's fully God and fully man. He came and joined this creation and lived a perfect life and went to the cross. He went there so we can belong at his table with his family. The bread is his broken body. In his humility, he redeemed us as he went to the cross. The wine is the blood that's shed for us. He sacrificed himself for us and puts himself where only you and I deserve to be. So this Christmas, for you and me, let us be reminded that we belong at his table, that we belong at the Father's table. As we take the bread and we dip it in the wine, we say, Jesus, you are my Savior and Lord. Thank you. And you guys have done this plenty of times, but practically speaking, you come to the front, you take the bread and you dip it in the wine. And this, this meal is for those who believe what I've just been talking about, who belong in this family. If you would say, I don't think I believe in this, find me. I want to talk to you about this. I want to share why I love this Jesus. I do. Find, find Vince, find Brett, any of us. We want to share with you about his love. And so stay, stay where you are. But for the rest of us, we should come and join the table. Join his family. At the table. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, come and celebrate. Let's pray. Jesus, you came to this world. And the only word that comes to my mind is thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for living a perfect life. Thank you for understanding us. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for adopting us into your family. Thank you. And Lord, I pray that as we live, leave this place, that we'll live as people who know their father, know his table, know his family. I pray that we can lean and talk to our dad and remind us that we are adopted by your blood. Lord, thank you. pray this in your holy name. Amen.